Hello and welcome to Cumber Baptist Church Podcast. The following is taken from our morning service, Sunday 7th of July, 2019. This morning we are joined by Pastor Clifford Morrison, who takes his reading from Psalm 23, and brings us a message entitled, The Secret of Satisfaction. Some would say that it has dried many tears, and it has supplied the mole into which many hearts have poured their peaceful trust. Millions have memorized this psalm. Ministers have used it to comfort people who are going through severe trials, suffering, or even dying. And for some, the words of this psalm have been the last they have heard or uttered in this life. It has been described as a masterpiece of inspired inspiration, a testimony to the abundant grace and goodness of God to his people. And when you read it, you discover that the author speaks of the Lord's faithfulness as he looks back on his life. He writes out of his own experience as he reflects upon those early years spent with the sheep, his flock. And the image of a shepherd with his flock is engraved upon the writer's heart and mind as he recalls his relationship to God. And in the psalm we are informed We are instructed, we are inspired as we're introduced to God's open secrets. Across the psalm we can write the words, it is no secret what God can do. What he's done for others, he will do for you. What psalm am I referring to? The 23rd psalm. Let's open our Bibles at Psalm 23. And let's read the word of the Lord. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Someone has said that the Psalms were written for people who ask certain questions, who ask, why do good things happen to bad people? Or people who look for God when the bottom drops out of their world. Or for people who are facing midlife crisis with expectations of God's very best. Or people who have received forgiveness and begin again even after failing God. And I'm sure like me, you've often found yourself in this very inspiring section of God's Word and reading this great psalm. Indeed, for many, the greatest psalm of all. Over these next few Sundays during the month of July, God willing, I want us to focus our attention on this psalm, thinking together about God's open secrets. And this morning I want us just to simply and thoughtfully and carefully consider together the secret of 
satisfaction. The secret of satisfaction. Mike Jagger of Rolling Stone fame had a very popular song, Can't Get No Satisfaction. And here's a question worth pondering this morning. How many truly satisfied people do you know? A man's life consists not, says Jesus, in the abundance of the things that he possesses. And men and women can have an abundance of all the things of this world and still not be satisfied. John Muir was a great naturalist, and one day he was speaking to a very rich business tycoon, an industrialist, a very famous financier, a man called John Muir. And he said to him, I am richer than you are. Well, how is that? Was the reply. Because you don't have all that you want, but I do, so I am richer than you. The book of Ecclesiastes is a book that's not often preached from. And in Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse 10, we read these words, He who loves money will not be satisfied, nor he who loves wealth with income. And if you read Ecclesiastes chapter 5, there are five things that you'll learn about money. The more you have, the more you want. The more you have, the more you spend. The more you have, the more you worry. The more you have, the more you lose. And the more you have, the more you lose, leave. And in the chapter, the writer tells us about two things that we need to know about God. One, the ability to earn money is God's gift to us because all things come from God. And secondly, your ability to enjoy money is a gift from God. And we shouldn't blame God when things appear to go wrong. Just because we don't believe it doesn't make it untrue. So this morning we're going to look at one of God's open secrets. The old proverb is true, isn't it? That familiarity breeds contempt. And that's the danger that you and I face as we come to what we might call familiar ground. You might be tempted to say, oh, I have heard Psalm 23. I can remember being in Sunday school and getting X amount of pence or pounds from learning this psalm. I know it inside out. And we're in danger of familiarity and such familiarity robbing us of the blessing of this significant piece of Holy Scripture. We know that it's given by divine inspiration. We know that it's absolutely true. And it's no wonder that it has, it has been quoted to those in tender years, to those in school, to those in the battlefield. It has been read at weddings as well as funerals. Someone has said it's sweet to a little child and perplexing to a scholar. One commentator says that the Word of God is deep enough that the scholar can come and swim without ever touching the bottom, and yet shallow enough that a little child can come and drink without fear of drowning. What a tremendous treasure we have in the Bible. What a tremendous privilege to have a Bible in our own language. What a tremendous privilege this morning that we can come to the house of God and read the Word of God and hear the Word of God expounded. But unto whom much has been given, from the same much shall be 
require. That is certainly true of this psalm. It's a magnificent, wonderful passage of Scripture. And many know it by heart. And I'm sure that I was, if I was speaking to you in your own home, you would be able to recite it. The secret of satisfaction. Let us focus this morning on this tremendous statement. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Let's say it together after two. One, two. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. You're only mumbling it. Come on. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. You know, we could major on every word here. The Lord. The Lord. Not a Lord, but the Lord. You see, keep in mind that when David wrote this psalm, the Egyptians had 365 primary gods, one for each day of the week. The Canaanite in whose land the Israelites came to live, they had many gods. But David reminds us that there is only one God, the Lord. This word Lord reminds us that he is the great sovereign, the eternal God, the great king, the one who rules over all. David reminds us that the Lord is. And we could place the emphasis on the word is. The Lord is. The Lord has always been is. And always will be is. And here we have the eternality and the immutability of our great God. The Lord. Lord, the Lord is. The Lord is my, not a shepherd, not a great shepherd, not a good shepherd, not a chief shepherd, but my shepherd. The Lord is the one who is responsible for every care that the sheep might experience. Here we have in this opening statement the secret of satisfaction. And the psalmist introduces us to three things here. First of all, to the sovereign. To the sovereign. Think with me about our sovereign God, the Lord, our sovereign Lord. You will notice that the word Lord is in capital letters. And the reason it is there is to tell us that this word Lord is a translation of an Old Testament name for God, that is the most sacred name for deity that the Jews had. It's the word Jehovah. Jehovah. David is saying, Jehovah is my shepherd. This name is such a sacred name, it carries with it the thought of the self-existing one. The one who never had a beginning. The one who never has an ending. The great I am. Jehovah is my shepherd. That name was so sacred to the Jewish people that some biblical historians tell us that it was only pronounced one time a year when the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies and whisper the name Jehovah. The Jews rarely spoke that name audibly. When a Jewish scribe was writing the scripture, when he would come to the word Jehovah, he would put down that pen and get a brand new pen just to write the name Jehovah. It reminds us of the greatness of God. 
It reminds us that God is not only great, but he's awesome. He is the great, awesome, covenant-keeping God, the self-existing one, the great I am, the Lord Jehovah. David says, the Lord is my shepherd. Now, you have to understand what David is saying when he says, Jehovah, the great one, is my shepherd. We are focused on the Lord, the one who made the world and everything in it. The one who lit the taper of the sun and put the stars in their places, that's my shepherd. The one who threw a carpet of green grass upon the earth and tacked it down with the flowers. The one who scooped up the valleys and piled up the hills. The one who took the song of the seraph and robed it with feathers and gave it to the nightingale. The one who took the rainbow and wove it into a scarf and threw it about the shoulders of a dying storm. That's my shepherd. At evening time he pulls down the shades of the night and shoots it through with sunset fire. That's my shepherd. We should stand back this morning and say, wow. There's a wow factor in what we're focusing on this morning. So as we look at verse 1, we see the sovereign God, Jehovah, the great, great, great I am, the one who rules the universe. Note the contrast in the psalmist language, the great Jehovah is my shepherd. We're moving now from the sovereign to the shepherd. And we need to learn this this morning, that the great or the Jehovah of the Old Testament is the Jesus of the New Testament. When we speak of Jehovah, we speak of his deity. When we speak of the shepherd, we speak of his humanity. And sometimes we neglect to focus on the humanity of Christ to the extent that we should. And I think part of it is because at times we've had to uphold and defend the deity of Christ. But remember that Christ was human. In John 10, the Lord Jesus unlocked the mystery of the 23rd Psalm when he said, I am the good shepherd, the sovereign and the shepherd, the sovereign pointing us to his deity, the shepherd pointing us to his humanity. You see, in the Lord Jesus, we have sovereignty and sympathy. We have a king and a shepherd. We have deity and humanity. A God who is able, a shepherd who is available, a God in the heavens and a shepherd in our hearts. The Lord Jehovah is my shepherd. Three times in the New Testament, the Lord Jesus is described as the shepherd. He's described as the good shepherd. I've already referred to John 10, verse 11. Jesus is speaking, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd that lays down his life for the sheep. And a shepherd might lose his life for the sheep. That is not what Jesus is saying. He said, he is the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. You see, there was only one person who did not have to die, but willingly died. And that one was Jesus. Who laid down his life for the sheep. 
Remember what he said? No man can take my life from me. I lay it down. And it's a humbling fact this morning. It's a humbling truth. But to realize that it wasn't the nails that held him to the tree, but the silver cords of love. And the golden bonds of redemption that held him to the cross. We've often heard of a sheep dying for a shepherd if he wants food. But who ever heard of a shepherd dying for the sheep? Jesus said, I am the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. You see, it's unthinkable of a shepherd laying down his life for the sheep. It's more unthinkable that the Son of God would die for sinful man. For Jesus is the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. And when is the good shepherd he lays down his life for the sheep? He dealt with sin in all its totality. He dealt with the penalty of sin for the wages of sin is death. And that's what Jesus did for Your sin will either be pardoned in Christ or it will be punished in hell, but it will never be overlooked. Many people in the world this morning think that their sin will be overlooked. It will be either punished in Christ, pardoned in Christ, or punished in hell. Unless there is a good shepherd that has died for your sin, you're going to have to face the wrath of an angry God at the judgment with your sin unatoned for. He is the good shepherd. But not only is he shown in the Bible as the good shepherd, he's also known in Hebrews chapter 13 as the great shepherd. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting confidence, make you perfect, that is mature, complete in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ to whom be glory forever. In John 10, he is called the good shepherd. He died for the sheep. But in Hebrews 13, he's called the great shepherd. He rose for the sheep. What good is a dead shepherd? He's no good at all except that he pays the penalty for the sheep's sin. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has led on him the iniquity of us all. Yes, he carried our sins to the cross. Therefore, he took care of the penalty of sin. But when he rose from the dead, he has dealt with the very power of sin. You see, he's not only the good shepherd, but praise God this morning, He is the great shepherd. The Bible says now he's able to lead us in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He not only died for me, but he lives for me, and that deals with the power of sin. But Peter opens his letter, and he reminds us that this good shepherd, who's also the great shepherd, is the chief shepherd. For he says in 1 Peter 5, When the chief shepherd shall appear, you shall receive a crown of glory that fades not away. And here we have the ministry of our Lord. As the good shepherd, he had to be good to do what he did, to die for our sin. As the great shepherd, he had to be great to do what he's doing. He rose to take care not only of the penalty of sin, but also the power of sin. 
And then as the chief shepherd, one day he's coming to take us from the presence of sin, to take us out, and there is a deepening and a growing conviction that the day of which we are thinking about now is drawing very, very near. The day of our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Jehovah is the good shepherd. Jehovah is the chief shepherd. Jehovah is the great shepherd. He has dealt with the penalty of sin. He's dealing with the power of sin. One day he will deal with the presence of sin when he comes again. And some would say this morning, he's at the door and he's about to appear. You will find in your Bible, Psalm 23, nestling in a trio of significant psalms. In Psalm 22, it's the cross, the crucifixion. Someone has said it's written as if a man was standing at the foot of cross. The gambling for his garments, the words he would say on the cross, the piercing of his hands and feet. The words of his enemies. Psalm 22, he's the good shepherd dying for the sheep. In Psalm 23, what do you find? The great shepherd who's alive, risen from the dead, leading his sheep. And in Psalm 24, what do you find? He's the chief shepherd coming for his sheep. The psalmist in Psalm 24 says, Lift up. Your hands, O ye gates, and be lifted up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in a battle. Lift up your hands, O ye gates, lift them up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, the King of glory. The Jehovah, the Lord of hosts, the King of glory. The good shepherd who died to pay for the penalty of sin. The great shepherd who rose to take care of the power of sin. The chief shepherd who's coming to take us from the very presence of sin. We're thinking this morning as we close about the secret of satisfaction. And this verse is the key to it all. And to the rest of the psalm. Every passage has a key to understanding. And here in Psalm 23, it's hanging on the front door. The Lord is my shepherd. The sovereign, the shepherd, the satisfaction. I shall not want. That is the only way you will ever have satisfaction. You will never have an ounce of satisfaction until you can say the Lord is my shepherd. And when you can say the Lord is my shepherd, then you can say I shall not want. Now listen to me carefully as I close this morning. Some people think that the secret of satisfaction is that you have a God who can give you everything. That's not the secret of satisfaction. The secret of satisfaction is the Lord himself. You see, your need will never, never be met until you are met in him. 
Things will never satisfy you. Things will never give you satisfaction. And there are scriptures that are misunderstood and misapplied. Listen to what the psalmist says in Psalm 37. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Does that mean if I love Jesus, I can have anything I want? No, that's not what it means. You see, there is a healthy, wealthy, prosperity gospel that is not a gospel, and the curse of God is upon it. There's a message that comes across on many a God channel misleading and will leave people perishing in their sin, that you name it and you claim it. That's not what the psalmist is saying. What the psalmist is saying is this, that when you delight in the Lord, the deepest needs in your heart will be met. Because when you delight in the Lord, the desire of your heart will be Jesus. That is what your heart will yearn for. Because you were made for him. And as Augustine said, your heart and my heart will be restless until they find their rest in him. For in him we live and move and have our being. We will never be satisfied apart from him until we can say, the Lord is my satisfaction. It's not found in what he gives me. It is found in him and in him alone. What did God make a fish to do? Well, you say, to swim in the sea. That's right. What did God make a bird to do? Well, to fly in the sky. Well, if you take a fish out of the sea and put him on a tree and you take a bird out of the sky and put him in the sea, they will be unhappy because both are out of their, their element. What's the element that you were created for? God himself. And until you know him, you will be like a fish in a tree and a bird in the sea. You will be out of your element. You will be a square pig in a round hole. I remember reading these lines some years ago. Friends all around are trying to find what the heart yearns for by sin undermined. I have the secret. I know where it is found. Only true pleasure in Jesus abounds. Jesus is all this world needs today. Blindly men strive for sin darkens their way. Oh, to pull back the grim curtains of night. One look at Jesus and all will be right. The Lord is my shepherd. Is the shepherd your Lord today? The Lord is talking to the unsaved Pharisees in John 10, verse 26, it says, But you believe not because you are not of my sheep, as I said unto you. But you believe not because you are not of my sheep, as I said unto you. There are some unbelievers who are not part of the sheep and cannot say, The Lord is my shepherd. I have a shepherd, one I love so well. How he has blessed me, tongue can never tell. On the cross he suffered, shed his blood and died, that I might ever in his love abide. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And when you say, my shepherd, he says, my sheep. 
And a sheep is someone who hears his voice and someone that he knows and someone that follows him. Have you heard his voice? Are you following him as Savior and Lord? It's so personal. It's so possible. It's so powerful. It's so permanent. For he gives unto his sheep eternal life and they'll never perish. The eastern shepherd may at some time or other have lost a sheep, but not the eternal shepherd. You're listening to a preacher this morning that can never die. That's a big statement. But listen to what Jesus said. He that lives and believes in me shall never die. If I do, I won't be dead. All I will have done is to move out. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. How long is eternal? Well, it never ends. It never, never ends. She loved to please her teacher. When she came home from school, she immediately got into her homework. Mom used to say to her, well, any homework today? Well, just a little homework. What is it? Well, I have to learn Psalm 23 and verse 1. What is that? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Well, you know it. I know, but I want to learn it perfectly. So she said it at the tea table. Before going to sleep that night, she repeated it. When she got up in the morning, she said it perfectly. She went into school, and as she was going down the corridor, she was repeating it over and over again in her mind. Class began, and the teacher asked a question after the roll call. Everybody do their homework? And the hands went up. Anybody like to come to the front and sit? Hers was the first hand up. She came to the front, had a little word with her teacher, and then turned around and faced the class. Wow, that was different. So she took a breath and she said, Psalm 23, verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. That's all I want. She got the verse wrong, but she got the truth right. The Lord is my shepherd. The sovereign, the shepherd, the sheep. We thank God this morning for his word.